As I mentioned earlier, um, today we're starting a new message series. We're going to press pause on the book of Mark. We'll come back to it in August. Um, but we're starting a new series today called One Anothering. And uh, some of you guys might have seen in our email blast or on social media, uh, God's given me the opportunity to uh, take off uh, the month of July from here at the Brook. Um, I'm finishing up some schooling, and uh, I've got a big, big uh, project I've got to finish up. And so God's opened a door for me to study at a school in Grand Rapids uh, for the month of July. Thank you, church, for, for the blessing to be able to do that. I'm grateful for that. I really am. This is something that I started this program the month my daughter was born. She's big now. She's really big. <clears throat> so uh, that tells you, yeah, they're going to kick me out if I don't finish it. So I got to finish it. Uh, so I'm excited about doing that. But I'm, I'm even more excited about this new message series called One Anothering. Um, as, as we've talked with many of you here at the Brook, as we talked with our formation team and leaders, and Jeremy and I, we've, as we've discussed, we've seen a, a lot of us, we've begun to understand what it means to be the church, and not just that the church is a building. And we just love that, that you guys are understanding that you don't go to church on Sundays. You gather with the church on Sundays. Uh, but we also understand, we, we need to understand what it means to be the church, We're glad we are the church, but what does it mean to be the church? How do we love and interact with one another as the church? And so we crafted a message series um, called One Anothering, and Jeremy's going to share with you what it's about, but I'm going to pray one more time, um, ask for God's help for Jeremy as he preaches. Uh, Next week, our brother Tony Navarro is going to be opening God's word, then our brother Jeremy Riggs will be the following week, and then uh, we'll probably have a guest after that. And so it's, it's an exciting time with some new voices And I know that's also encouraging, too, to get a fresh voice. And so we're really looking forward to the messages that God has for us as the church to be the church with one another. And that's what we want. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for the Bible, God, that you have not left us on this earth, has dropped us here and said, figure it out. But you guide us step by step. You speak to us through the scriptures You speak to us through the application by your Holy Spirit in our lives. So, God, we want to obey you. We want to follow your steps. We want to be your sheep that hear your voice. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go through this series, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have for us. Father, we uh, we pray for this summer, Lord. Um, We love our city. We love Chicago. And, God, we're just... We just hate what's going on here. God, we we hate it with a righteous hate. We hate the violence. We hate the the evil. We hate the the gang activity. And so, Lord, we pray that your peace would just spread throughout these neighborhoods, Lord. God, we even pray for our game day that it would be a, a voice of peace. That we, in our presence, as we walk these streets and pray, that we can be bearers of peace. Oh, Father, do something here, we pray. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be found sitting on our hands, but that we'd be engaging your work, God. Lord, we are your church, blood bought and sealed by your spirit. And, God, that's an identity we don't want to waste. So let us be the church with one another to ultimately bring glory and fame to your precious name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as Eric said, we're starting a series called One Anothering. Now, you won't find that word in the, in the dictionary because we made that word up, 
Well, I didn't make it up. I think Eric made it up. Uh, but throughout the, the New Testament of the Bible, we see over a hundred commands to, to, to know how to be the church toward one another, to know how to be like Jesus toward one another. So throughout these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different commands using the term one another, and they're going to teach us how we can be one anothering as a church. And as, we, as, as we've prayed as, as leaders, one of the things, the, the four values that we want to see in our church in terms of toward one another is we want to see people build up one another. We want to see people embrace one another, love one another, and forgive one another. Now, see, the church is comprised of people. And if you know anything about people, people are messy. You know how I know? Because I'm a person. I'm super messy. And maybe you didn't know this about me, but I actually grew up in the church. My parents were believers. They were, they were leaders in the church. And I, I saw church messiness, people messiness firsthand. It was on News Channel 10 every day. In my living room, the kitchen table, I mean, I saw it all. As a matter of fact, I remember one occasion, I was hanging out with my cousin. We were, we were in the living room, and my mother picks up the phone that was ringing, and my mom just begins to cry once she got the phone call. And when she got off the phone... Everybody in the house, my house was always packed growing up. Everybody in the house was like, girl, what happened? You know? And the reason why she was crying was because someone from the church that we knew, that I know, cursed her out and was threatening her over some church beef. Now, I was just a young kid at that time, and obviously that's my mom, so I'm going to feel some type of way about that. That made me angry. And for years, that made me bitter because I felt like I couldn't trust people in the church. As a matter of fact, I would rather be, at at that time, I would have rather been with people who didn't know Jesus than be with people who were part of the church who said they knew Jesus. Because I didn't see, growing up a lot at least, I didn't see people building up one another, embracing one another. Loving one another, forgiving one another. And it was hard for me. It was hard for me to even come to Jesus because I said, man, if, if following Jesus looks like this, I don't want not, nothing to do with that. And when Jesus took hold of my heart when I was 17, I started realizing I too had a lot of brokenness that he was working on. That I had a lot of things that, that, were, that needed some Jesus fixing. And by God's grace, he provided people from the church to build me up. To embrace me in my brokenness. To love on me. To show me forgiveness. And to help restore me. And lead me to Jesus. When we were first planning this church... 
I was going through, through a lot of issues just personally. My character was being tested. And it was, it was just a rough time because I realized that I make a mess of a lot of things. And I ended up actually taking a break from, from trying to be a leader at that time. And, and at that time, many of you were around. You know, I just, I just want to say publicly thank you. Thank you for exemplifying these values. Thank you for showing these values to one another. Because if it had not been for that, then I don't know if I would be here even right now. So what I want to say with that is, the church is not always glamorous, because we're family, right? Family gets into it sometimes. Sometimes it gets a little, a little ugly. So the church isn't always glamorous, but the church is always beautiful. She might, she might wake up in the morning, right? But she still retains her beauty. We still see her beauty even through our brokenness. And that's what we want to see through this series. We want to see Jesus highly lifted up in such a way that we look like Jesus to a fallen world. But it's going to take some work. And today, we want to talk about what it means to build up one another. And see, the thing is, you and I alone can't build up one another. We don't, there's nothing in us, in and of ourselves, any power in and of ourselves that can build up one another. It's only the good news of Jesus, the gospel, that builds up one another. And today through our text, what we're going to see is how. How does the gospel, the one who produces the building up, the forgiving, the love, the embracing, build up our church? So if you'll join me in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 16. In the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 1, or excuse me, 984. Thank you for building me up, brother. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Thank you. Yes. Exhibit A now. <laughs> um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. In the Pew Bible, again, it's page 984. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16, how does the gospel build up one another? We're going to see three ways. Colossians 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all, say all, All. wisdom, singing psalms, say psalms, and hymns, say hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here we see a command. The command to build up one another has a starting place. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the command in this text. Now, to dwell means to reside, to inhabit, to live in. Meaning, like, the word of Christ 
needs to be fully in your heart. So this command tells us what we should do in order to build up one another. The first thing that we do in order to build up one another is to let the gospel by the vacancy of our hearts. And here we see that he says he wants the word of Christ to dwell, to live, to reside, take residency in our hearts. What is the word of Christ? The word, meaning the expressed thoughts of Christ, the content. The gospel is the word of Christ. The reason why is because the gospel is the express thoughts of God and it gives us the express thoughts of God in Jesus, giving us the content of his character, the content of what he did on his death, through his death and resurrection, and his teachings. So here he's saying, let the gospel, the expressed word of Christ, Dwell in your hearts. But he also gives us two manners in which we obey this command. So we want the the word of Christ to reside in our hearts, but he gives us two manners. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let, to allow, to allow the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, see, see this, is, this is the problem with this command. Not the problem with this command. This is the problem with us dealing with this command. Is this, that in and of ourselves, we don't let the gospel dwell in us richly. We don't. You know why? Because the gospel evicts our own control in our hearts and evicts every single room of brokenness in our hearts. So we have to let the word of Christ, but we can't do that in and of ourselves. That's a problem. So what's the solution? The solution is this, that to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is ultimately a work of God. Let me tell you how. To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is provided through the avenues that God gives you. God gives you the desire. That's the first thing. He provides the community to build you up. And then he provides his word, the written word, the Bible, in order to instruct your life. And not only that, he also is with you in your brokenness that leads you to Jesus. And he also, he also instructs us on how we should live our lives when we sin. He restores us. He disciplines us. So he provides all these avenues for us to grow. He gives us the desire to want to dwell in the gospel in and of ourselves. But our responsibility is to obey. Because we're not robots. God provides the avenues, but it our responsibility to obey his command to let the word of Christ dwell richly. So that's the first manner. You allow but ultimately seeing that it's a work of Christ that you obey. The second manner that you obey this command is by letting it dwell richly. That means in abundance. 
that means that it has to take over completely. It needs to be stored up in you. The gospel needs to be in every single facet of your life. That's what he's saying. Now, the reason why he's saying that is because sometimes we allow the gospel to be in certain rooms in our lives, but not have full capacity. Sometimes we let the gospel have our purity, but we don't let the gospel inform our finances. Sometimes we let the gospel inform our marriages and our singleness, but it doesn't inform the way we work. Sometimes we let the gospel dictate what we know, but doesn't always take over how we deal with messy people or people that are undesirable. So this is a work of God providing the avenues for you to build up one another by letting the gospel dwell in you. And it's our command to obey it in this manner fully. And this is what I want to tell you, church. God is with you when you obey. There is great blessing when you obey by letting the word of Christ take root in every single facet of your life. So how do we let the word of Christ, the gospel, build up the church? Well, it starts with me. It starts with you. It starts by you allowing the gospel to invade every single area of your heart. If we can't do that, we can do nothing else for anybody. So the gospel needs to take root in our hearts. But there's a ripple effect. So we saw that in order to build up the church or through the content of the gospel dwelling in us, we also need to know how we specifically build up one another. So there's a ripple effect to you and I dwelling in the gospel, letting the gospel permeate, saturate, marinate everything about us and everything that we do. Now, see, this verse is a cause and effect statement. What that means is A doesn't go with, without B and vice versa. What's A? A is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's B? He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Say all. All wisdom. So here we see A and we see B. B, the building up one another, doesn't go without the word dwelling. But you can't not dwell in the word of Christ and not build up one another. It's a cause and effect statement. So if you want to know if you're allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you, look at the way you build up one another. If you're not building up one another, it's most likely because you're not letting the gospel permeate every area of your life. They go together. They're married. They don't do things apart. The gospel dwelling and building up. They don't do it. But how does the gospel build up the church? It builds up the church by using the provided tooling of God and also the material resource of God. And here we see both. 
The tooling is teaching and admonishing. What's teaching? Teaching is when to impart knowledge, to give knowledge, to hip somebody to some game. Okay? You're hipping them. You're giving them knowledge about what? About God and how to live. Teaching. Admonishing is to tell somebody, don't do this. You don't want to do this. This is preventative. This is not God's best for your life. Graciously. Gently. So the tooling is the teaching, which is like the hammer. The hammer is hammering in the character of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and also his teachings for all of life. It's the hammer. The admonishing is the chisel. It's chipping away. It's teaching people to choose God's best. So there we have the hammer teaching. Then we also have the chisel admonishing one another. That's God's tooling. But see, you can't build unless you have tools, and you can't build unless you have material supplies. So if I'm going to build a deck, a wood deck, I need some wood, right? So if I'm going to build with teaching and admonishing, then I need some material supply, right? I can't build without it. What's God's material supply? God's material supply is in all wisdom. So the tooling can't go without the material supply and vice versa. The teaching and admonishing can't go without the material supply or else you're building the wrong thing. Or it might look nice on the outside, but it'll break as soon as somebody steps on it. What's God's wisdom? What is all wisdom? What, is, what does he mean by this? What's, what's the material supply? The material supply is God's will for your life in terms of what you know and God's will for your life in terms of what you do. So how does the material supply work? What, what is it composed of? God's will for your life is given to you through the Bible. God's will is perfectly in here for your life. And then also, God gives us his spirit to teach us how to apply his will specifically in our lives. Whether that's who you date, to how you should manage your, fin- your finances, to how you work, to how you deal with one another. You smell what I'm stepping in? So, so the material supply, hopefully you're smelling that, is the wisdom of God given for what you know and what you do. That's what it's composed of. So there we have the tooling, teaching and admonishing. Then we have God's will. That is the content. That is the material supplies used to build up one another and they don't go without each other now how does this work specifically let's just say there's a dude named Juanito any Juanitos here I just want to make sure okay no and let's just say there's a dude uh named Felicia no Felicia's here right okay I'm, I'm just making sure let's just say Juanito comes up to you and you are his brother in Christ and or sister in Christ hopefully it's a brother in Christ though and he tells you Look, 
I'm, I'm struggling with, with, with watching pornography. That's a, that's a struggle of mine. Felicia comes up to you, and she'll be trying to gossip. She'll be trying to build somebody down or tear somebody down. How do you use God's tooling and God's material supply? How, how, how do those come together in those situations? Well, this is how. See, when you're dwelling in the word of Christ, the gospel, you're in your Bible. When you're counseling Juanito, you're reminded of Psalm 1611 that says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's been marinating in your heart. You've been, you've been chewing on that for some time. And what ends up happening is that you identify in Juanito that his problem isn't merely what he's doing, but why he's doing it. He's doing it because you identify that he's being satisfied in something other than God. So you teach him, you teach Juanito, look, you can only be satisfied in God. You can only be satisfied in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the content of who Jesus is, his death and resurrection, and his teachings in order to build you up. So the supply is the word. But then you admonish him and you tell him, so you don't want to do that. You want to put up some safe boundaries for you to be focused on pleasuring in God and wait until the Lord provides a spouse, if that's what he calls you to. That's the admonishing. Felicia, on the other hand, she comes up to you, and now she's talking about some gossip. She wants to, she, she wants to, she wants to slander somebody, kind of bring them down and be like, ooh, she did this, and all, you know, all that. But you've been dwelling in the, in the word of Christ so much. You've been in the gospel. Man, you've been reading through Ephesians. And you read in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification that's building up according to the need of the moment so that, say so that, that. it will give grace, say grace, Grace. to those who hear. So you've been marinating in that. And you tell Felicia, you say, look, Felicia, that is not the way we build up someone. You can't build up that person unless you're building them up in the grace of God. So maybe you shouldn't even be telling me about this. Or how about this? How about you tell me, how about you tell me how you can build up so-and-so? Because Felicia, if you're dwelling on the grace of God given to you, knowing that you yourself are broken and jacked up, and a bag of chips. If you're dwelling in that, you're able to extend it to others. That's the admonishment. So the teaching comes from God's word. The admonishing comes from God's spirit. And then you can say, bye, Felicia. I'll see you later. I know, I know some of y'all are waiting for that. But see... You just don't want to say bye to Felicia, though. <laughs> see, 
See, see, the thing is, this matters, this matters only if your motive is right. See, when, when you go to the dentist, right, I used to have some jacked up teeth, like praise God for braces. But when you go to the, to, to the dentist, the dentist, when he sees a cavity or she sees a cavity, he's not like, woo, that's really bad. Oh, man, you better get that together. You better get, you better get your mouth together. That's not what the dentist does. What a dentist does is she, he or she identifies you have a cavity. This is bad for your mouth. Look, I'm going to patch it up a little bit. But this is what you have to do. That's how you build up one another. So you do it in order to instruct that person to be like Jesus. To instruct that person to dwell in the richness of Christ. So how do we build up one another? Well, first we saw that the word of Christ, the gospel, has to be or has to fill the vacancy of your heart first. That's where it starts. When you're doing that, it just naturally extends to other people. And you do that by using God's tooling. You use the tooling of God, which is teaching and admonishing in the material supply he gives which is all wisdom found in his word, empowered by his spirit living inside of you. You can't do one without the other. And you can't use the tools without the material supply. That's just not how God works. God provides, but for us, we must obey in the way that he wants us to. So, the next correlation that we see in our sentence that is a cause and effect is that we build up the church one another when we worship the architect. God is the architect of the church. As I said, this is a work of God. We have a responsibility, but ultimately it's God at work in people's lives through the avenues that he provides. He brings people up, and then he brings people together. So when we come together, we worship the architect, and we build one another up. And we see this in the last phrase. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Skip over the teaching and admonishing part. And he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ooh, what does he mean by that? What he's saying is this, that building up one another comes together when we come together. And he says using psalms. What are psalms? Psalms were songs from the Old Testament that spoke about the great character of God and his salvation. And then he says, in hymns, what are hymns? Hymns were these glory songs that praise sort of like a hero. So he's saying, sing songs that praise Jesus. For his great salvation. And then he says spiritual songs. Spiritual songs in those days were spontaneous songs from God the Holy Spirit that would arise from people's hearts when they were singing, pointing to our great God. 
So how does that build up one another? See, the gospel, I said, is the character of who Jesus is, right, who reveals God. We see his death and resurrection in the gospel and what that means for our lives. And we also see his teachings, the implications of what he did on behalf of us who are sinful and broken. That's what the gospel is. So what he's saying in effect is, look, sing the gospel because the gospel talks about the character of God and his ultimate salvation, which is found in the Psalms. Sing hymns because they praise Jesus for all that he did who saved you when you were all jacked up and broken and is still fixing you. And also sing some spiritual songs that should give you a new song. That word of Christ dwelling in you should give you something to say to Jesus. So he's saying, sing the gospel. Now see, if you're like me, when we come together... And, if, if, and even if I'm honest today, sometimes you don't feel like singing the gospel when you come and gather as a church. Sometimes you're just weighed down by the trials that you face, right? Am I alone on this? Sometimes we, we are just dealing with sin in our hearts. And we don't, we don't see how a great God could love broken people. We have to brook, we are intentional or at least we try to be very intentional about singing the gospel. And this is how, for those who don't know. We sing the gospel usually by starting with a song of exaltation that focuses on the character of God, focuses on who he is, and invites us to worship together. And then we move on to a song of confession. A song of confession resonates with us because... It shows us who we are before God, apart from him, apart from Jesus. And then we sing a cross-centered song. Because the cross, at the cross, our brokenness and God's glory come together. So we, we exalt God, his character. Then we move on to our confession, understanding that, man, we too are broken people. Then we move on to the cross, because that's where we find rest for our brokenness, and then usually the last song we sing in our sermon, or excuse me, our our song structure is a song of response, a song of surrender, a song of praise, because that's what the gospel does when it's dwelling in you. And even when you're not feeling that, you're able to be inspired by God because when we sing together, sometimes it reminds us of what God did. So we sing the gospel in effect to remember, to reflect, and ultimately to inspire us to obey. But see, this singing doesn't go without a condition as well. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. See, the gospel inspires us And also also cultivates a heart of gratitude to God. So when you're struggling with something, when you're going through some issues that you can't control, and you come to service to sing the gospel, it should be reminding you that we don't deserve anything from God anyway. But yet, 
if he, didn't do, if he doesn't do anything else for us, he crossed the sea of eternity when we couldn't save ourselves. And that's why we sing the gospel. And that builds us up. So, so, so let's bring this together, though. So we see that the gospel builds up the church. We are commanded to build up one another, not tear one another down. That's what the word of God says. And we saw that the way that we build up one another is by us allowing the gospel to take or fill the vacancy in our hearts first. And as we're doing that, what we we see is we build up one another or the church by using God's tooling and his material supply. And then lastly, we see that we build up one another, we build up the church by worshiping the architect who put it together anyways. So, so let's call the first one. Let's call that one the, the word of Christ dwelling in our hearts. Why don't we call that one God's purchase of the empty lot. In Chicago, there's a lot of empty lots. And some of them are all messed up. They're in, they're in their neighborhoods that are undesirable to developers. And, and usually those empty lots are kind of just sitting there. That's, that's the way our hearts are apart from Christ. They're just sitting there purposeless, put people putting a whole bunch of stuff on it, or you just not caring for it. That, that's, just, that's just the way our heart is. So let's call the first step God's purchase of the empty lot of our hearts. Then the material resource, once he purchases that, we'll call that God's activity in his building project. That's the activity. So he purchases the lot of our hearts, then he gives us the activity to build on that lot, to make it valuable. And then he says that we have to worship one another, worshiping the architect. Let's call that God giving his employees, the builders, rest. This is God's building project for your life and for my life. This is God's building project for how we build up one another. This is his building project. You see, this is the thing. When you see that your your heart is an empty lot that nobody wants to develop apart from God, then you're grateful. And you begin to work on that lot and make it valuable using the tooling that he provides, teaching and admonishing one another. And then what you begin to see, once the the, the structure is, is being built, the church is being built, you're able to look back and worship and say, wow, that's a God thing. And what you see is a skyscraper. Now, see, this is the important thing that you need to know. Every building, every building, even the building that we're in right now, has electricity, right? It has electricity. And that electricity is meant to power up, to to turn stuff on so we can see, right? But you can't power anything on unless you flip the switch. You got to flip the switch in order for it to light up. And see, this is the thing. When we do these three things, when we're dwelling in the gospel, 
When we are building up one another by the way that we teach and admonish in all wisdom. And when we sing together, we flip the switch and we see that God has made a skyscraper. And he's done it in a dark, dark city. And when people see that skyscraper, they say, man, who is that architect? Because surely it's not a human one. So the question for you and for me today is, are you following the right architect? If you follow yourself as the architect, you will make a mess of your life and you will make a mess of God's beautiful, although not always glamorous, church. But if you follow the architect, he builds in us something beautiful, something precious. He builds on that lot that nobody really wanted so that the world can see, man, surely God is among them. I want to be part of that. Because being part of that has a purpose and a destiny. Being part of this leaves me in shambles. So will you follow God the architect? By letting the word of Christ, the gospel, dwell in your heart. Using his tooling and his material supply. And by worshiping him for all that he's done. Let's pray. Father God, we um, we truly aren't worthy, God, on our own strength, God, to uh, to build anything up, God. We are uh, some broke down employees sometimes, God. We just thank you just for saving us, Lord, for redeeming us, giving us value, giving us a purpose and a destiny to build up your beautiful church, God. God, how could we not do that, Lord, after you saved us, Lord? How could I not do that after all that you've done for me, God? I just pray, Lord, that you would heal, Lord, any broken relationships even here in our church, Lord. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts up, God, to marinate on the gospel, has saved us, Lord. God, and we pray that our fallen city, God, our fallen world may see that we are a skyscraper for your glory, God. And that they too may worship you, the architect, God, who's building us up so that we can build up one another. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, God, I pray that today would be the day that they become a builder of the church, Lord. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Let's all stand and declare our God. Let the gospel inform our thoughts and our hearts right now. Jesus is making all things new. Out with the old and with the new. Your life. So-